pray a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask now that you be with the Jones, Taylor, and Cooper family. You know what the matter is, Lord. We don't. But we know you. And we ask simply that you speak. That you touch what needs to be touched and bring ease, bring peace into the situation. Now, Father, our word is to be given. We pray now that it be your word and only your word because only that can suffice. And we thank you for what you will do and for what you have done. This is our prayer for Christ's sake and for your name's sake. Amen. You forgive me for a second. While I do a few housekeeping chores. Can you hear me? It is interesting. The reason why I use that term is because it's unique there. To me, that's a type of oxymoron. Because every day is youth day. Every day is seniors day. Every day is middle-aged adult day. Every day we ought to empower. We ought to, let's see, esteem one another. But because it's youth day, I'm going to do something unusual. Do you see these young people sitting here? Elijah was right there. Brian is right here. Mackenzie is right here. Jamila is right here. Do you see them? Do you see them as God sees them? You see, he sees what they could be in him. You see, he sees the best in them. This morning, Brother Cleaver and I were listening to a song, and it inspired me because he sees the best in us. He doesn't look at us the way we perhaps look at one another, our faults our failures, the things that we haven't overcome. He sees the best in us. Perhaps that's why we as a people haven't caught fire for God because we can't see the best in everyone. But the title of the sermon this morning is, Is There a Cause? Is There a Cause? This sermon worked me over. I'm telling on myself because I didn't want to preach this sermon. I saw my own shortcomings, my failings to step up to meet the cause. Every time that I said no, 
every time that I gave a backward glance, every time when I allowed anger to overcome love in my life, I saw my failing to meet the call. Now, if you were to look up the word cause in the dictionary, you'd find the following definition. A reason for an action or a condition. A motive. Something that brings about an effect or a result. A person or a thing or a state or an occasion of a thing. An agent that brings about change. It has been said that the humblest citizen in all the land, when clad in the armor of a righteous cause, is stronger than all the hosts of error. Throughout the history of mankind, people have sought for a cause. Not just any cause, a just cause, a righteous cause with to associate themselves with. You see, there comes a time when sitting back and waiting for someone to do something won't do. There comes a moment in your life or my life, whether you be young or old, whether you be, let's see, strong or weak, waiting for others just won't do. There are some things in life which is worth giving our life, our time, our money, and our energy to. We all must have a call. I want you to think back for a second. Remember your history. Go back to 1900. Think about the country of India. It was a land laden with human debris. The reason why I say that is because the people themselves had nothing. Poverty. Sickness and starvation were the norm within India. You see, the British Empire had ruled over India for centuries and had done little to nothing to empower the people, to change their lives, to change the mindset and the economy of colonialism. History records that the British Empire did nothing but strip India of its resources and of its soul. But. But, and thank God for the but, there was a man who God put in place. You know his name, Gandhi. He came forward with a cause burning inside of him to free India from the colonial, economic, and political slavery placed upon them by the British Empire. You see, Gandhi had a cause for freedom. And to this day, if you drive through India, you'll see massive posters with his, let's see, picture on them. Gandhi's been dead since 1948, literally 63 years, but his cause is still alive. You didn't hear me. His cause is still alive. You see, what Gandhi did is he painted a picture on the minds of his fellow Indians of a better and a free India. They, in turn, caught the cause, caught the vision, and passed it down from generation to generation. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles and let's go to 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. And let's start at verse 1. 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. And let's start at verse 1. Now, 1 Samuel details David. Let me ask you a question. How many people think you know the story of David? Are you certain that you know the story? You see, I asked the question to the young people, and they said, yes, we know the story, but I want you to hear it this morning. I want you to hear it with new ears and see it with new eyes. I want you to pay attention to how the Bible explains what God did with a stripling. A stripling, a young person. Not unlike the young people who are sitting up here. Not unlike the young people who are out in the audience. Not unlike the young people who are missing this morning. And let's just read together. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle together at Sokal, which belongeth to Judah, and pledged between Sokal and Ezekiah in Ephes Dama. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of, let's say, Elah, and set up the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his head, and the spear's head, weighed 600 talents of iron, or shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and called unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? And ye the servants to Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we shall be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that me may fight together. This was a bad brother. Could you imagine what the sight was like. Here the children of Israel had received the call to come to battle from Saul. You see, the cause was this, that the Philistines had invaded. They had gone into Shokal, which belonged to Judah. And there they both stood in array ready to give battle, waiting for a word. But the word wasn't given because a strange thing happened. You see, something's moving down the hill. 
They couldn't quite make it out at first. It was huge. Maybe it was a tree that someone was carrying. Maybe it was just a huge boulder that they were rolling down the hill. But whatever it is, it's, it's covered with what looks like to be bronze. The object got closer, and I imagine that a shudder ran through the armies of Israel as they recognized that this was a man. But not just any man. Perhaps it was the biggest man that they had ever seen. 1 Samuel 17 says that he stood about six cubits in a span. Now to us, that doesn't mean anything, but if you convert it to our system of measurement, it means he stood roughly nine feet, nine inches. We're told some other interesting things about him. His name, of course, was Goliath, and he's clad in head to toe in armor. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of bronze that weighed nearly 125 pounds, walking down a hill. He wore bronze shin guards and had a bronze javelin slung over his back. He had a spear that looked like a weaver's beam. That means that it looked like a small log about maybe this thick. The head of the spear was of iron. It weighed roughly 17 pounds. And coming ahead of him was a soldier just to carry his shield. This was a bad brother. And having got their attention, this is what he said. Why are you coming out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants to Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your slaves. But if I'm able to fight him and kill him, then you will become our slaves. Then he says something that ought to chill our blood. Today, I defy the ranks of Israel. Who called Israel Israel? He's defying who? Give me a man and let us fight one another. You see what Goliath was proposing was the ancient tradition of single combat, winner take all, to resolve this battle. He would represent the Philistines and someone from Israel would represent the Israelites. They would fight to the death with the winner taking all. You see the plan perhaps itself was an expedient one because it saved time and potentially useless bloodshed but it only would work if someone would take the challenge. But go a step further. You see, what Goliath was saying when he said, am I not a Philistine? What the Greek says, excuse me, what the Hebrew says, am I not the Philistine? Meaning, I'm the baddest brother that the Philistines have. If you want to find out how bad I am, just show up. Come down here. Can you see the arrogance dripping in his words? Let me ask you a question and be honest. Would you have gone down? You don't need to raise your hand just in your mind. Would you have gone down? No one from Israel did. 
You see, to their mind, it would have been suicide. There would be no chance to believe that they could win against a man who stood nine feet, nine inches tall, carrying the weaponry that he carried. What chance did they have? But I want you to look at verse 11. And it says, Saul and all Israel were dismayed. You mean the people of God were dismayed? The people of God were disheartened? The people of God felt they couldn't trust God? The people of God forgot? King Saul was terrified. Why? Because now he's on his own. You remember the story? Samuel had told him, it is better to obey than sacrifice. And because he had sought his own way, because he did his own thing, the same spirit that God gave him when he anointed him and called him to be king of Israel was now removed. And without that spirit, Saul had nothing to face Goliath with except terror. But what about the children of Israel? What was their issue? You see, they too had forgotten. You remember how they had been in the land of Egypt, how they had been in slavery, how there seemed to be no hope, but yet Somehow, God addressed Goliath at that time and brought them out of Egypt. Yet, God addressed Goliath again and brought them over the Red Sea. Yet, God addressed Goliath again and brought them, let's see, past the Jordan. God addressed Goliath again and brought them to Jericho and destroyed the city. God addressed Goliath again and put them in a land of milk and honey, but... They forgot all that. So the challenge went unmet. What challenges are facing you now? Every day, for 40 days, both day and night, Goliath issued the challenge. And no one answered. You see, God's people were losing the battle before it was even fought. I'm talking to the young people now. Young people. It only takes one giant to stop you, to keep you in your place, as long as you look at your life from the human perspective. We all need to ask ourselves the following question. What is my Goliath? Maybe my Goliath is a subject in school that I can't master. Maybe my Goliath is depression. Maybe my Goliath is that person that keeps on picking on me. Maybe my Goliath is current or, let's see, present abuse that I'm suffering. Maybe my Goliath is bad habits. Maybe my Goliath is rejection. Maybe my Goliath is addiction. Maybe my Goliath is fear. Maybe my Goliath is anger. Maybe my Goliath is disease. Maybe my Goliath is my past failures. 
Maybe my Goliath is debt. Maybe my Goliath is discouragement. Maybe my Goliath is a broken relationship. Maybe my Goliath is unemployment. Whatever it might be, we all have Goliaths. And our Goliaths are huge. They're intimidating. They're daring us to do something about them. Have you ever felt that you had a problem that was talking to you? Anybody? Saying, I dare you to try and solve it. I'm too big for you. I'm too bad for you. I will take you down. If you don't have a Goliath, if you never met one, you will soon enough if you keep on living. But see, now David enters the scene in verses 17 to 20. Tell us how he got to the battlefield. Just turn there. You're still in 1 Samuel 17. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephod of this porch corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses into the captain of their thousand and see how thy brother fare and take their pledge. Now Samuel and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of, let's say, Ephah, fighting the, let's see, Philistine. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was to go forth to fight and shouted for the battle. Forty days. Forty days. And Jesse got worried, as any parent would get worried. Because you see, they'd been gone for 40 days and no word came forward. Is the battle joined? Have we won? Have we been defeated? So he sent David to see how it went and to take the pledge of his brethren. That pledge was, the, was simply this, that they would remain faithful and obedient to God. Now David, he was a youth. What did I say? That means that he was not an adult. He was not considered to be of the age of majority. He was a youth. Young people, listen to me. God created you to do great things in his name. Never believe, never let anyone tell you that you can't succeed, that you can't achieve, that you can't triumph. You see, in Christ, your victory, my victory, our victory is assured. How do I know that? Go to Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 31. Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 31. And let's just read that together. And when you get there, say amen. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God's working in your behalf, who can stand against you? Nobody. I don't care who they are can stand against you. Go down to verse 37. What does it say? 
Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You will conquer because he loves you, because he knows you, because you know him, because his name is on your lips. But going on with the story, so today, Joseph was the grocery boy. Now you see, his normal duties were to tend his father's sheep. But his father wants a report, so he sends him with food for his brothers. And David gets to the battlefield just as Goliath is issuing his challenge again. Remember, it has been 40 days, day, let's see, morning and evening that Goliath has issued the challenge. So 80 times already, Goliath has called on someone to answer the challenge. And David asked a simple question, a simple one. What's going on? Why doesn't someone answer the challenge? Why won't someone accept this call? And the answer is equally simple. Go back to 1 Samuel 17 and look at verse 24. 1 Samuel 17 and look at verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. They just looked at him and said, not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, no. But notice David's response in verse 26. It's the key to this entire story. And David spake unto the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Did you get that? The armies of the living God. Not Israel's armies. Not Saul's armies. Not your armies. Not my armies. But the armies of the living God. You see, that makes all the difference in the world. The soldiers were saying, don't you see him? He's like a mountain out there. If you went out there, you wouldn't last three seconds. Don't you see him? David saw him, but he saw something else as well. He saw that Goliath was defying not Israel, but defying God. You see, David's call was a cause for the glory and honor of God that same God who Goliath was defying. You see, all the Israelites saw was this brazen giant that Goliath was as an immovable object. David saw him from God's point of view, that he's blocking the progress of God. So let's go and get him. He's saying, wait a second. He's threatening us that we're God's people. He has no part with God because he's uncircumcised, right? That means that our God, the God that we serve, isn't on his side, right? He's with us, right? The people of Israel. 
If that's the case, let's go. If we're a part of God's people, then there's no problem that we face that's too big, too powerful, too strong for God to conquer in us. You see, God was, I mean, excuse me, you see, Goliath was just nine feet, nine inches tall. But a more pertinent question is this. How big is your God? Is he smaller than your problems? Is the only thing that you see when you look at God and your problem is the problem? But if the only thing you see is God because he's bigger than the problem, then you're on the right track. We only have the power to face a Goliath when we realize that God is bigger than any problem that we face. You see, David knew this, unconnected to God, that he was no match for Goliath. But when Goliath took on God, he got over in over his head. But you see, before David could go to battle, he had to convince the doubters. There are always going to be doubters no matter what the situation is. There are always going to be people who have questions, people who have an issue with what is to be done. The first one is his older brother Eliab, who questions David David's motives. Look at verses 28 to 30, and let's just read those. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spake unto the men, And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the haughtiness of thy heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest seest the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Let's stop right there. Right more this morning, we need to ask ourselves, is there not a cause? Is there not something in this life worth struggling for, worth fighting for, worth dying for? Is there not a cause? And if there is a cause, what is that cause that we ought to seek out? And I answer you this, it ought to be the name and the glory of God going on. And he turned from him to another and spoke after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. You see, there are some people out there who don't want to see the people of God carry out their commitment to God, who don't want to see the people of God tap into his power. David's older brother Eliab was saying in effect, look boy, you know you belong with those sheep. Leave this business of wars to the men, which you are not one of. What are you doing down here anyway? You know that I know that you think you're something. You can think a lot of things, but you can't think about this. I remember when you were little, so get yourself home. That's what Eliab was telling him. But why did Eliab tell him? You see, the reason that he spoke to David that way is that Eliab himself was burning with embarrassment. You see, he himself didn't have the courage to face Goliath. 
So he tried to deflect the attention from his inadequacy, his lack of trust, his lack of commitment, his lack of cause to David by accusing him of having the wrong motive. You see, Eliab was utterly powerless because he wasn't plugged into the source of all power. He wasn't in tune with the mind of God. And because of that, he accused David. But when we're thinking with God's mind, we don't have to be intimidated by anyone, be they giant or not. I love the way that David answered Eliab in verse 29. Is there not a cause? You and I this morning have a cause. The cause is for the glory of God. You have a purpose and a goal to your life. For he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you see, he's still not ready to go and fight the light because there's one more doubter who remains. Word finally gets to Saul that at last a man has been found. But when Saul sees David, he can't believe his eyes. Who? What? Him? Because in Saul's eyes, David was just a boy, a kid. In fact, in, I believe it's verse 51, he calls him a stripling. He tells David that you're just a boy and, you know, you can't stand against him. He has been a man of war since his youth. You don't have a chance. Don't answer the challenge. What Saul was saying is logically, this is a dumb idea. And very many times when we're going to do what God tells us to do, people will tell you that you're crazy. But David's answer is classic. He said, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, what David had, which no one else had, was faith. Faith. He didn't just look at the problem and see how it impacted him. He looked beyond the problem and saw God's deliverance. He didn't just look at the problem and say that I can't. He looked at the problem and say that God will. He didn't just look at the problem and say, well, Lord, if no one else won't do it, neither should I. He looked at the problem and say, Lord, empower me that I can stand up and go forward. You see, behind David's words lies this important truth. Every giant, every Goliath that's in your path as you're connected to Christ Jesus is also in God's path. The only thing you've got to say is, Lord, guess what? Another Goliath. Let's go. You see, if you're serving the cause of God and in the will of God, the giants that you're attempting to fight will be actually fighting God. 
In fact, that's why God sends giants in our path on a regular basis. First, to find out if we will fight or flee. Second, to give us an opportunity to serve and honor him. Don't tell God how big your giants are. Just tell your giants how big God is. In fact, David was living out Isaiah, let's see, 54, 17, which says simply this, no weapon. What did I say? No weapon formed, that is formed against thee, will prosper. He didn't believe Goliath could do anything against him when he's in God's hand. So off David goes to battle with his staff and a sling. And as he heads down the slope, remember they're coming down a mountain. He's heading towards the valley, the trench where the battle should occur. He stops by a brook and he picks up these five stones. They're not pebbles, they're stones. They're not little rocks, they're stones. One authority said that those stones, the way David threw them, may have been as large as baseballs. But you see, Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall, and the baseball hitting him wouldn't do anything. But see, it had to be directed by God and God alone to hit the right spot. By this time, David is approaching Goliath. And over his shoulders, the armies of Israel are watching. And as he walks towards Goliath, Goliath seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. He was insulted. He was put upon because Israel had not sent him what he considered to be a man of war, world seasoned and proven in the arts of war. They sent him a youth. They sent him someone unencumbered with what were the traditional armaments of battle. He didn't have a shield. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a spear. He didn't have, let's see, a breastplate. He didn't have, let's see, greaves around his shins. The only thing he seemed to have was a staff and a sling. So Goliath cursed David and said to him, come over here and I'll feed your flesh to the birds and to the beasts of the field. But you notice that David doesn't curse back, doesn't insult him, doesn't belittle him. He simply tells him what God will do. In verses 45 to 47, it's a, one of the greatest statements of faith that is in the Bible. Turn there. 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 to 47. Then said David unto the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver me into deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I'll give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly will know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, 
for the battle, the battle, the battle, and he will give you into our hands. You don't have to fight the battle. You don't have to analyze the battle. You don't have to strategize about the battle. The battle is the Lord's. Every fight that you fight is a fixed fight. You already know the outcome. God has already paid the price. The only thing you have to do is stand up, step up, and go forward. And having made that statement, David starts to run. He's not running away from Goliath, but he's running towards Goliath. You see, the Bible all says, says, this, says this, resist the devil and he'll do what? He'll flee from you. But David starts to run towards Goliath and to run towards the Philistine army. And as he runs, he takes out a stone into his sling and he cocks his arm and starts whirling it about and releases the stone. The stone flew. Guided not by David. Because David couldn't defeat Goliath. But guided by God and his spirit. And it hit Goliath in the only place that you can hit a man that large and bring him down right between the eyes and lodged in his forehead. It lodged in his forehead. What that means is that it was thrown so hard and directed by the spirit with such force that it stuck there. It didn't fall down. It stuck there. Goliath never knew what hit him. The thought that he could be defeated by this youth never even entered his mind. One moment he's watching David run towards him. The next moment everything goes black. And with a mighty crash, he falls to the ground. Verses 50 and 51 emphasize what happens next. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. He didn't have a sword, didn't have a spear, didn't have, let's see, a javelin, didn't have a shield, but somehow he managed to smote the Philistine and slew him. You see, David knew that God would provide what he needed at that time. So he took the very sword that Goliath had. Someone say he took Goliath's sword and he cut off his head with it. There's a lesson here for us. When God knocks down your Goliaths, you gotta cut off their heads. You can't let them just lie there, because it will encourage the devil to come back and bring someone else. You gotta cut off Goliath's head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, this wasn't just purely a military conflict. This story is in the Bible to teach us how to trust. Because you see, you and I have to engage in spiritual conflicts as well, too. You see, usually our inner giants, the ones that are in our mind, defeat us much quickly than any other giant we face on the outside. 
But the point to remember is this, that in defying the armies of Israel, Goliath was defying God. The life that we live as Christians will be one battle after another. And most of us will face a host of giants before our lives are complete. You see, a giant in any situation that blocks our path is a giant that God will help us conquer if we trust in him. It could be a person. It could be a circumstance which stands in opposition to us, blocking our way. But the key thing is that we must have faith in God that he will be our just cause, that he will supply us the power to meet his purpose. We have to have faith. And when we have faith in facing Goliath, it's not just talking about him or analyzing him. Because talk and faith will never slay Goliath. Faith is taking that first step, knees knocking, hands trembling, mind full of fear to face Goliath, but in the name of the Lord of hosts. You take that first step, not because you think you can do it. You take that first step because you know God can do it. And in believing and trusting in him, God will defeat Goliath through you. In closing, I'm going to tell you a true story. It was 6 p.m. December 1st, 1955. The location was Montgomery, Alabama. Middle-aged woman. Very nondescript. Gainfully employed. She was going home. So she boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus, paid her fare, and she sat down. She sat down in the first empty seat, in the back row of seats that were reserved for people of color. By now, you probably know who I'm talking about. The woman's name was Rosa Parks. Somehow the bus got too crowded. And people of a darker hue, black, were asked to stand and make their seats available for people of a lighter hue, white. She refused to get up. She was subsequently arrested because she refused to give up her seat and stand in the back of a bus. She had an unusual capacity for courage to stand against a law that she felt was wrong. And because of her one stand, it led the black community of 
Montgomery, Alabama to organize a bus boycott, which ultimately resulted in the creation of laws stipulating the equal treatment of all races in public services and ended racial segregation in this country. You see, Rosa Parks had a cause. She wanted to know for once and for all that others knew that she was a human being and a citizen. I think she explained it best this way when she said, the reason that I kept my seat wasn't that I couldn't get up. It wasn't because I was tired. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. Amen. This afternoon, I want you to listen to me. Are you tired of giving in? Are you tired of allowing Goliath to dominate your life? How many times has he issued the challenge in your life? How many Goliaths have come and triumphed in your life? Do you need faith to fight for a cause? Do you need to believe and know for yourself that the Lord of hosts will fight for you? If any of these statements are true, I just ask that you stand up at this time. And as you stand up, start walking forward. Touch somebody's hand. You see, Goliath, for far too long in our lives, has held sway. For far too long, we have been rebels without a cause. This morning, God calls us to be rebels with a cause for his honor, for his glory, for his name. And just now, I invite you to look around. Find each young people you see. And if not today, then next week, the following week, let them know that when they serve the cause of Jesus, he will always fight on their side. Let them know that he's been good to you and he's kept you. Let them know that faith itself has its own reward. You may not see it down here, but you will definitely see it up there. They've got to know that there is a cause. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have come to you confessing our sins, letting you know, Father, that far too long 
we have been without cause. That we have not surrendered fully to your name. That we have not gone about the errand that you have sent us. That being to tell others about the glory and the majesty of God. To let them know that there is hope. To let them know that there's something beyond the misery and despair that this earth offers. That there's something greater than the Goliaths that are in our lives. And that thing is you. Now, Lord, speak to us as only you can. Speak to the recesses of our souls. Conquer anything that lingers there, which is not of you and cannot be heard of you. And Lord, give us your cause. As you said in your son, for this cause came I from heaven. And the cause was us. That through you, we might have hope. Now in turn, Father, once we receive that hope, help that our cause might be that others will too have that same hope. Bless and keep our young people. Grant them, Father, strength and wisdom beyond measure that they can stand against the Goliaths that are in their lives. But don't limit that blessing just to them. Bless those of us who are of age as well too that we too can stand against the giants that will surely come into our lives if they're not there already. And above all, Father, prepare us for the King. This is our prayer for Christ's sake and for your name's sake. And let your people say, Amen. May we see Please bow your heads for the benediction. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for letting us all come and worship you today and be with us as we go through another week. Amen. <laughs>